Hello and welcome to Hormone Bestie. I am Erin, your host, registered dietitian, and fellow bestie in this hormone health world. I'm so excited to have you here and to have you listening to the Hormone Bestie podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about calories, hunger hormones, and how to actually trust your body to know when to eat, how much to eat, and to feel really confident that you're choosing the foods and meals that are right for you. If you are a person in this world, chances are you have been told to count calories that ultimately you just have to eat less than you use and that's how you get to the weight that you're supposed to be at, right? And I want to take some time to debunk that today because that's just not how it all works. So thank you so much for listening and let's jump into it. As a quick reminder, these podcasts are for educational purposes only and are not meant to be used as personalized guidance or advice. If that is something that you are interested in, I am always happy to talk more about what that kind of coaching looks like and what is the right next step for you. You can always tap the link in the show notes to have more of a conversation with me about what nutrition for hormone health looks like and what is right for you. Let's get started with should you even be counting calories? Short answer is no. Long answer is I am very aware that that encouragement and that suggestion is everywhere around you. And sometimes I think just being told don't do it isn't very helpful. So let's talk about if you're going to count calories, what I suggest for that and how to go about it. So first things first, though, I also think it's really important to talk about the difference between calorie counting and calorie awareness. So calorie counting is really like you are tracking everything that you're eating. You're trying to stick within a certain number of calories. You know, you're trying not to go over a certain number of calories and just being really hyper aware of every little thing you're putting in your body and most likely writing that down somewhere or keeping mental track versus calorie awareness. Now, calorie awareness is more of the idea of, oh, I recognize that there are 500 calories in a serving of this food that I like. Or, oh, I see that this food has over 1,500 calories. And being aware of what is in your foods, and that is very different because it's more of that awareness versus I have to track this and I have to stay within a certain number. I think that awareness can be appropriate and helpful at certain times, but we always have to think about what is going to be best for whatever situation we are in because it can be really, really easy to start to get obsessive and easily overwhelmed with tracking calories, being aware of calories, and that sort of thing. If you are going to track your calories or count your calories. One, I don't suggest having a calorie goal. So I don't think that it's helpful to have a number of calories that you are trying to keep yourself to every single day. I think that that's how you actually lose the ability to really listen to your body because it's so easy to get caught up in the idea of, oh, I'm allowed to have 2,000 calories a day. We're just going to use that for sake of roundness of numbers. Let's say you're hanging out and you're like, oh, I'm still really hungry this evening, but I already ate my 2,000 calories and you don't eat something, right? You're not listening to your body. Or the flip side of that is, 
oh, I ate 1,500 calories today, which, you know, it's not enough for most people, but I ate 1,500 calories today and I feel really full, but I still have all these calories I need to eat. I better eat that extra 500 calories because there's so many days where I don't get all of the food that I want because I'm trying to keep it under 2,000 calories. So I really need to take advantage of this moment. Again, those are the times when we aren't listening to our bodies. So I don't recommend having like a set number of calories that you're trying to eat. If you are just trying to get an idea of how many calories you're eating. So for example, if you had recently gained a significant amount of weight and you're just like, am I, you know, am I doing something differently than I was before or anything like that? And so you're thinking, "Mm, you know, maybe I just want to get an idea of how many calories I eat every single day so that I can see if I am eating more than I think I am. That's a very different situation, right? And so it's easier to say, okay, I'm going to track my calories for a couple of days, see what I'm doing, see how it feels, see if I recognize any patterns that maybe aren't helping whatever my goals are. So like, for example, I have done this before. And something I realized was that most of my carbs were things like bread, crackers, tortillas, stuff like that. And those are perfectly fine carbs, right? Like I am not against those carbohydrates. But one of my goals recently has been to increase my carbohydrates from starchy vegetables, being things like potatoes and beans and like squashes and fruit and stuff like that. Like one of my goals has been to increase my calorie and my carbohydrate intake, excuse me, from those foods. And so while I was kind of paying attention to what I was eating, I was just recognizing some of these patterns that weren't supporting the goals that I had. But at the same time, I stopped, right? And this is the important part is that if you're going to count calories or you're going to track your food, which again, I am not suggesting that anybody do, it's really important that you know where that boundary falls and when you are going to stop and that you actually stop. Because like I said, it's so, so easy to get to a point where we aren't actually listening to our bodies and we are just going off of a certain number of calories. And that's not incredibly helpful to our long-term goals of trusting our body and creating a safe space for our bodies. I talk a lot about how creating a safe space for our bodies is incredibly important to our hormone health and our fertility because our body craves safety. Our physiology craves safety. That's when it knows it's safe to reproduce. It's safe to have a menstrual cycle. It knows that it's going to get what it needs from food, nourishment, rest, movement. It knows that it's getting all of those components of health that it desires so that you can have the healthiest body possible. And sometimes the healthiest body possible looks different than you expected it to. And I think that that's an important thing to always just keep in the back of your head. Another thing with calories is that calories do not paint the full picture. Calories are just a measurement of energy. They are not a measurement of nutrition. And what I mean by that, because I know that that's kind of confusing. What I mean by that is that Just because something has 100 calories doesn't mean that it is necessarily a nutrient-dense food. It doesn't mean that it has lots of vitamins and minerals. It doesn't mean that it has lots of antioxidants. It doesn't mean that it has important phytochemicals. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has all of those really good things for you, okay? So something might be 200 calories, but it's giving you all of these really awesome things that your hormone health and your fertility need versus something that is lower in calorie, but it's also not giving you the nutrients that your body is craving. And even if we bring it to a bigger scale and look at protein versus carbs versus fat, we need all of those macronutrients. And so if we just look at calories and we're not paying attention to where all of those calories are coming from, we're just trying to keep our calories within a certain range so that we can eat the right amount and 
you know, whatever our goal is, we're not paying attention to the bigger picture of like, okay, but are we getting all of the things that we need? Are we getting enough protein? Are we getting enough carbohydrates? Are we getting enough fat to support our body in the way that it wants and craves to be supported? And I think that that is super, super important that we understand that calories just don't tell us everything that we need to know about food. Okay, so I want to ask you a really important question, and that is, do you trust your body? Do you trust your body to tell you when it's hungry? Do you trust your body to tell you when it's full? Do you trust your body to tell you what it needs when it needs it? And if your answer wasn't yes to all of those questions, that's okay. But it also means that we have some work to do. And we're just going to do a little bit of that work today because I think that it's so important and this is something that happens over time, but that work is necessary. And I think that part of how we learn to trust our body is that we better understand it. We better understand how it works. So y'all know that I think that hormones are amazing. And we talk about hormones like estrogen and progesterone, cortisol, insulin. We talk about these all the time, right? Follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, all of those, how they relate to our menstrual cycles. We talk about them all the time. And it helps you to understand what your cycle is doing at different times, which can be incredibly empowering. So I want to empower you in a new way today, and that is understanding your hunger. Hormones also run our hunger and our digestion amongst many things, but hormones are super important in our hunger and digestion regulation. And this is why our bodies are so cool because we can learn to trust them when we trust that everything is doing what it's supposed to and our body can learn to trust us when we take care of it. So we're going to talk about some hormones that actually affect your hunger and your fullness and your digestion. The first one is called ghrelin. This is our main hunger hormone, and it tells our body that we're hungry when we're hungry. So when your stomach is empty, that's generally when ghrelin is released. And this hormone can also affect things like your digestion, your insulin release, your heart health, and your fat storage. But there are some things that actually mess up how ghrelin works in our bodies. Things like yo-yo dieting, avoiding carbohydrates, not sleeping, not staying hydrated, and chronic stress. These things affect how our main hunger hormone works, and that can really affect how our body feels, when it feels hungry, how it feels hungry, and how often it feels hungry. Another one is called peptide YY. So peptide YY can help to decrease our appetite, and it works primarily in the lower part of the GI tract, and it's actually secreted in proportion to how much energy is consumed. So to how much food is actually being consumed and how many calories are actually being consumed. So our body is releasing this hormone to help decrease appetite while you have been processing your food so that you can understand when you feel full. The next one is called cholecystokinin. So this one really helps you feel full and it's released in the upper part of the GI tract in response to fat and protein intakes. Another one is called glucagon-like peptide or you'll see it called GLP-1 
is secreted in the upper GI tract in response to food entering the small intestine. It can help with satiation by slowing down food from leaving your stomach, which is also known as gastric emptying. It also tends to play a role in inducing insulin secretion. So those are kind of some of our really quick responses to food with hunger and fullness hormones. And then we have two hunger and fullness hormones that are more long-term regulators of appetite. So less meal by meal and more over time. One of those is insulin that I just mentioned. So insulin is considered a long-term regulator. Insulin is also increased after a high-carbohydrate meal, and this can decrease appetite as well as increase metabolic rate. So insulin is talked about like it's this horrible thing all the time. Our body needs insulin. It's part of how our body uses carbohydrates. It's part of how our body functions. It's also a growth hormone. It helps our muscles to work how they're supposed to and helps our cells to get the energy that they need. So I mentioned how insulin is really increased after a high-carbohydrate meal, while cholecystokinin is really increased after fat and protein intake. So we have different hormones working in different ways depending on the food that we're eating. So the last one is called leptin, and this is another hormone that helps your body feel full. Again, this one doesn't necessarily affect each and every meal and snack that you eat, but instead it acts over time to provide balance. Sometimes it will decrease after long periods of fasting, such as overnight, but again, it is more of a long-term regulator. It's actually secreted from fat cells, which means that if fat cells shrink rapidly, it may stimulate really strong feelings of hunger. Some people can also have leptin resistance, meaning that their brain doesn't respond to the leptin that is secreted and they feel more hungry more of the time. Sleep can also affect your leptin levels. And we definitely need further research on this, but some studies may show that chronic inflammation and high triglycerides can also impact how leptin is able to reach the blood-brain barrier. Similar to leptin, we can also have insulin resistance, right? And this is when the cells are not as sensitive to the insulin secreted, leading to higher amounts of insulin being secreted over time. So why do I think it's important to understand this? Because it actually shows us really clearly what we need to give our bodies. And if you think about it, so we have these different fullness hormones in particular that are responding to different foods that are eaten. And this is part of why having a balanced meal with protein, carbs, fat, and fiber helps your body to feel full because we want to make sure that everything that needs to be stimulated is being stimulated and that our body is working how it's supposed to. But like any hormones, if we aren't taking care of our body, the hormones aren't being regulated necessarily in the way that they're supposed to be regulated. And this is where problems can occur. When people are not sleeping enough, there can be huge issues in how those hormones are regulated, leading to somebody feeling incredibly hungry after not sleeping well and craving foods like carbohydrates for that quick energy. And so when we understand that these hormones are working for us, one, it gives us another reason to support our body the best that we possibly can, but it also just goes to show that our bodies are not against us. Our bodies are trying so hard to work how they are physiologically supposed to. And so when we can start to honor that physiology and honor the way that our bodies are working, we can have success and we can understand our hunger and we can understand our fullness. 
But like I always say, if you are not honoring your hunger, you're not going to be able to feel your fullness. That is really important. We have to pay attention to our bodies when it's giving us those signals of, hey, I need food. I need energy so that it can work how it's supposed to and let us know when it feels safe and when it doesn't need more food. So how do you figure out what's best for you then, right? You understand how your body is working. You understand that you need to eat, but what do you actually need to do? What are some applicable things that we can change to support our hunger hormones and how those are working to help us feel full, help us feel satiated, and understand when we need to eat? So one, eating regularly is incredibly important. We have to have that basis so that our body feels taken care of, okay? So that means eating every three to five hours during the day, at least to start with. As you do this continuously, you will find that you have more metabolic flexibility. What I mean by that is you'll find like, oh, okay, if I have to go five hours one day, even though I'm not used to that, I'm okay. My body figures out how to support that, how to take care of that, right? Our bodies are amazing. They can adapt. It's beautiful, but they adapt better when they feel like they're safe. And again, we get to that safety by eating every three to five hours to start with. And that doesn't mean a meal every three to five hours. It means, okay, maybe I have three meals a day or four meals a day, depending on what works best, and a couple of snacks in there. And then meals have protein, carbs, fat, and fiber, and snacks have carbs and protein. That's what's going to help our body know that it's getting what it needs. Next, we have to start sleeping. (laughs) And we have to get seven to nine hours of sleep a day. This is incredibly important. As we have talked about before, not getting sleep really affects how your hunger hormones are working. One thing that can actually really help sleep is having a snack like an hour to two hours, but closer to an hour before bed that has, again, carbs and protein and a little fat is sometimes okay too. And That also has either natural sources of melatonin like dairy, oats, eggs, mushrooms, and tart cherry juice, or sources of magnesium. So things like dark chocolate, like pumpkin seeds that can help us to fall asleep and stay asleep. Another thing that can fit in here is exercise. So some studies have shown that exercise can actually decrease levels of ghrelin, which are our main hunger hormone. So I feel like I particularly noticed this when I was training for a half marathon after my long runs, it took so much for me to feel hungry. And so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you exercise to not feel hungry and then to not eat because that's not supportive to our bodies. We still need to eat, especially if we are doing hard exercise, but having these shifts may be beneficial long-term for what's going on in our bodies. And it may just go to show how exercise can have an impact on our hunger levels and possibly in a beneficial way for some people. Additional things to keep in mind are again, not yo-yo dieting, making sure that you're staying hydrated and also really trying to decrease chronic stress and inflammation. All of these things are going to impact your body on a whole and your health on a whole and your metabolic health on a whole, but they are also really going to affect your hunger hormones too. And so it's really important to keep these things in mind when we're thinking about how we want to best support our bodies. I hope that you found this episode today helpful, interesting, and supportive to your hormone health and fertility goals. Ultimately, what I want you to know is that you can trust your body. It's going to tell you what it needs. It's 
going to give you the signals. We just have to take time to support it and listen and pay attention to our bodies when they are giving us those signals. This happens one step at a time, but the best that you can start to honor your hunger, the better that you will also be able to honor your fullness. And overall, this is going to help your body to feel more supported than ever and feel really strong so that it can support a healthy, regular menstrual cycle and really strong fertility. And with that, I am wishing you a week of happy hormones, happy hunger, and yummy meals.